We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Francis McBasketball. And today we are joined by a friend of the pod, a yearly ritual at this point, Mike Garcia. How are you today, my friend? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. you know, Thank you for all of your coverage and hard work over the last weeks, months, days, hours, minutes. I'm sure you've been counting all of them to the, to the draft season is over. Yeah, it, it's uh, it was definitely a countdown. It was definitely a lot of coverage to go over, especially with the two picks in the Lakers draft. And you never really know where they're going to end up, especially with the drafted. So it was definitely a lot of work this season, but it was definitely fun to do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Tim, I'm curious what you thought. I'll kick it to you first before we get into these guys as we just give a general impression. We watched some film on stream. So first impression thoughts, if you know, for people who couldn't make the playback stream, which was a lot of fun. We went for like four hours. Um, it was a good time. But 
Your first impression, Tim, how did you feel in that moment? My first impression with LA picking Jalen Hood Sheffino was, I, I, I was like, really? I, I don't know. I watched this guy a good bit. I didn't realize he was a, a top 20 pick caliber guy. Um, I have questions and I'm sure Mike will address them around the fit and how quickly we could expect him to be a positive contributor, but I'm not unfamiliar with his game and was a little surprised there. And we were in a position where there were other guys that had been dropping and with how long it took LA to get the pick in, I was thinking, Hey, maybe they might trade it. Uh, So I, I don't know, little, little shocked. And then as we dug into his game, I don't know if we just watched a bad like two game sample of film there in the moment, but there were certainly mm-hmm. things that uh, were, you know, I left with concerns and I definitely wanted to do more of my due diligence, but it wasn't, you know, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I wasn't like, Oh yes, this is my guy. This is my dude. But at the same time, I haven't done all that work. So that's, that's why we've got the expert here today to uh, set us straight. But uh, I don't know. I was underwhelmed, yeah. but still hopeful. And I th- think that the Lakers, front office and and drafting, you know, scouting team has certainly earned themselves the benefit of the doubt. So I am, you know, hoping to be pleasantly surprised here. Yeah, absolutely. When, when they picked Jalen Hochefino, I was like, okay, well, that's one of the guys within my top five to 10 list of remaining players at that actual pick. And, you know, I saw what I saw on tape and I was like, okay, yeah, no, it's a, good set of games and I know what he can do on both ends of the floor. There's got to be something else to it. And I think there actually was, but uh, you know, we'll go ahead and get into it in a bit. Yeah. Primarily kind of, I don't know. It was some bad shot selection from what we saw. So it's, you know, it's the tournament games were the most recent. We'll see, you know, I'm curious about what the defense could look like. Cause I think he has some tools there, but even then, Tim, you, know, you mentioned he plays kind of high. It, I saw some things I liked more than than what I saw in offense. Like his his pull up mid range stuff is nice, but I don't know if it's really setting him apart from other players at that position. But what what do you think, Mike? Is he an offensive initiator right now, able to play pick and roll and 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 be the guy with the ball in his hands? Yeah, uh, this is one of the things I, I think this was the first thing I talked about when I I wrote about him a few weeks ago uh, on my Substack. I wasn't exactly clear what his role would be because I'm looking at this guy like as if he's a shooting guard playing point guard reps. And usually, usually when that kind of thing happens, you're watching a guard in development. And when you're watching a guard in development, it's like, okay. Can they hit a dive man? Can they hit the corners? How do they run pick and roll? Do they reject screens? There's a multitude of ways to manipulate an offense. And how does he go about that? And for what it's worth, in terms of a foundational skill set, he's off to a good start in the sense that, hey, we know he has this pull-up jumper, whether it's contested or not. When guys are in drop coverage, he'll take that shot and he hits really well. Uh, I think off of hoop math, over half of his shots were basically that general area and he shot 42% there. Um, the other thing is I know other people look at finishing at the rim or floater touch in terms of, uh, shooting indication. And I wanted to kind of get away from that a little bit because sometimes I think, uh, the numbers of finishing at the rim get a little bit muffled. Not every college team has great spacing, right? So the way it was done before 
with uh, how to evaluate players was, hey, if this guy's a good mid-range shooter and he hits contested shots, you just expand the range a little bit by a few feet, and then now you can hit well behind the arc. It's just a matter of comfort level, building up that strength, and that all comes along with developing an NBA body. So those are those are some of the things I was kind of looking at. I would not anticipate him to play point guard from the jump, only because I think last year was a developmental year in terms of initiating. And then if he was going to do that again for the Lakers, I almost expect like that Reeves rookie year where he was spotting up at the quarters a little bit. Maybe he handled the ball up a couple of times going up, you know, up the floor during his rookie year and then further develop into that initiating role. But I just wouldn't expect that immediately. And I think he certainly has the size to slot into being a two guard and it not be a problem defensively. So that, that, that plays into his favor. Six, six, uh, for, for those who don't know, he's six, six, 20 years old start. He was the starting point guard for the Indiana Hoosiers this year. He was a good player, uh, among big 10 rotation players. He was 53rd percentile for impact 61st percentile on offense, 53rd percentile on defense. He was Indiana's third or fourth best player from an impact standpoint, depending on which side of the, the ball you looked at. To Mike's point, it was not a great offense. It was not a spaced offense. It was not a complex offense. They were a very smart team defensively with, with the coaching that they have over there. And they, they did some really good things. But offensively, it wasn't like he was in a fantastic system that would have elevated his numbers that in a way that some other players might have seen. Um, I did really like Mike. I'm interested in your thoughts on his passing because I, I do think I, I saw a high degree of passing versatility with him with lots of short rolls, skip passes, post entries, lobs. I think at times he was, you know, hitting guys in the shin a little bit with some of those with those passes. The post entries could use a little bit of work, but I saw, you know, a wide range in the bag. I saw some craft in terms of using either hand, both hands, looking off defenders. Uh, from a processing standpoint, reading more than just one or two defenders. So I think there are some promising things there that if he were to transition to being a two guard at the NBA level would be, I would think value add at the position relative to what we tend to see. Yeah. I mean, to your point, those are all the things you're looking for out of a developing guard, right? So, Hey, does he hit the role man? I mean, he had a great role man in Trace Jackson Davis, who had a great catch radius. He had good hands and he finished in the paint. But it's about hitting the other reads. How accurate were the passes? Can he get to a position on the floor where he can make the correct pass? That kind of thing. There were a few games where he was a little bit turnover prone. Uh, sometimes he got a little bit heated on the dribble. There were a lot of point of attack defenders this draft, whether, I mean, Kobe Bufkin was a really good matchup against him and he got him a little bit especially for, I think that was a six turnover game, but overall he still complete competed well against Michigan and he shot really well. I mean, he stuck to his comfort zone in terms of shooting, but as you said earlier, the variety of passes, whether it's post entries, the skips, the corners, the dive, um, you know, anything off the dribble, either hand, can he finish in those, you know, at the, at the rim with either hand, plus the mid range game. That's a lot of expansion for a guard. So now it's just, hey, if he now it's just three point gravity. And then if he's able to pull that off and granted, I get it. He's 33 percent behind the arc. It's not a tremendous amount of amount of volume. He he hit a few that were contested when people were in drop coverage. But 
considering I'll, I mean, I'll take the passing upgrades and the vision upgrades, and then we'll take the shooting later. That's, it's a great foundation. Yeah. From a data standpoint to help illustrate the potential gravity concern, uh, if we, even if we add, so this season, 30%, 33% overall, 30% on catch and shoot threes. Interestingly, he shot better on pull threes than, than catch and shoot threes. I think we're looking at a lot of small samples. If we add in an additional year of data with high school data, which, you know, not the same three-point line, it looks a little bit more normal, whereas catch and shoot threes are at 32% overall between the two seasons, pull-up threes at 30%. He's not shooting a high volume of pull-up threes. That makes me think he has a bunch of confidence in them, but we certainly did see at the end of the, uh, who did they lose? Uh, Miami game in March Madness. He hit like four or something like that. He was just letting them fly late in the game when they were down and you know, when he gets in a rhythm, he he can certainly knock them down. But if that three-point shooting is is not as strong, that's a concern. I, I thought it was interesting on Synergy. They have it tagged whether a shot was open or guarded. And the percentage of his catch-and-shoot jumpers that were open was higher than 90% of college players this past season. And I know his, like, shot difficulty at the rim was certainly higher. The shot difficulty on his jumpers was quite low and he still was putting up these result numbers which to me is concerning but if they can get some growth out of them there i think that that certainly helps not just the long-term potential but short-term like can we get him on the court can we trust him to even just be a stationary shooter he wasn't a very good movement shooter but just stand in the corners like you said with reeves in that year one uh that's to me is a is what i'm you know hoping to see growth with but that that was probably the first thing that stood out is all right you're drafting a guy he's a guard can he play with LeBron and AD? Can he be off ball? He's going to need to be off ball. And I say that's probably my primary concern with him. But I'm I'm open to, I, I'm hoping he's able to show that growth and prove us wrong. So I had to rethink uh, Jalen Huchofino in that with Reeves, I had the luxury of seeing him as a role player and as a spot-up guy. And he was really efficient behind the arc there. And then he had the huge role transition. And then... His three-point percentage his last year at Oklahoma was like 30.5%, which didn't look great overall. But I knew that that was pull-up, high contest, uh, a lot right. of dynamic dribbling into the shot, that whole kind of thing. When I look at uh, GHS, it's more like as if I'm watching a freshman play between his Austin Reeves second and third year transition, meaning he's going from role player to, oh, I'm going to be the guy on the team and I need to be an offensive vision. And as I mentioned earlier, we've seen a lot of passing reads, a lot of passing development. That's a big step. I, I prefer that over the shooting development. I understand with the Lakers, we'd want the shooting first as a priority, but as a better overall player in terms of projecting upside, you want the guy to be a, a dribble threat. And I mean, I think only 20% of his shots were at the rim. But he did put a lot of players in jail and he was comfortable with the floater. And then we know where he is mid-range. He's slowly expanding that to extending that range. And now we've got this passing craft to go along with it. Admittedly, it's Indiana. He was working through a lot of tight spaces with that pick and roll play. So I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. And one of the things that may not have shown on tape, but I've gotten a lot of recent news lately about it were people talking about his intangibles and kind of his approach to his game. And I know that goes long for the Lakers that 
goes along well for me. We're just not privy to that information. When I knew a little of what I knew about Random Ingram way back when, I had him as like kind of the guy even over Ben Simmons. Like I know Ben Simmons is a better player in terms of skill and talent, but I think Ingram will be the better player long-term. And then we've seen that kind of flesh out. So that's one of the things that we can't really account for. We just, we just say, oh, this is a positive thing. He's likely aware of what he needs to work on and he's likely going to work on it. It's just a matter of how quickly can he get that to NBA speed. Hence, rookie year, keep the role simple. If he has to, you know, be a spot-up shooter early on, even we saw um, Max Christie's shooting kind of be surprising even in spot minutes, like with its with his dramatic improvement. So my expectations for him are, you know, maybe he plays a shift, maybe he plays two, it'd be nice. But for the most part, the Laker roster is kind of stacked in, in terms yeah. of, you know, having their seven or eight guys. And if he becomes that ninth or 10th guy, that's a big deal. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's between him and Max Christie kind of fighting for a spot. So that's kind of what it looks like for me early on. It's mm-hmm. funny. You uh, just, sorry. It's funny. You mentioned the Mamba ment- uh, like the mentality, because there's literally a plank of quote saying his Mamba mentality is a code uh, lived by. You could tell he didn't just throw it out because it was a Lakers interview. It felt from the heart. Right. Like he declared for Indiana on 824 and he's a huge Kobe fan. Uh, look, Tim's shaking his head like violently <laughs> as he's muted. <laughs> I don't know, man. If he's he's got a good work game. That's all I care about. I don't, don't, I don't care it, what gets them motivated. I just care that they do it. And if that's what it takes, so be it. Well, all right. I I want good work ethic. I think good work ethic should equate to better growth over time. Where where was it? Because this guy wasn't that good last year. Um, I don't know. I, I, I he's saying the right things, and I want to see the growth. I think Reeves was a good call out, Mike. Looking at his career as a college player, first two years at Wichita State, thirty one percent of his threes were uh, pull ups. The next year, twenty four percent at Wichita State, and then when he went to Oklahoma, it went to fifty one percent, and then seventy two percent over time. He went from good role player to now you need to be the guy and lead the team in scoring possessions and handle way more. And he was one of the, the I think he was the second highest pick and roll volume guy his, his senior year. His catch and shoot three volume and the pull up three volume like completely changed over time. If you just look at the raw three point percentages, I think that that could be misleading. And this was something you know, when he was drafted or not drafted, when he was signed, we looked at that and we're like, oh, okay, there's, this guy's a better shooter than it might realize, might seem. I- I'm not seeing that, you know, apples to apples with Jalen Huchefino just because the catch and shoot three numbers aren't as good, but he's certainly young. He can certainly grow. One thing I did see on film in common between him and Reeves that is encouraging to me is that pick and roll game. And you mentioned like putting guys in jail, being patient. Something we just saw in the playoffs with the Lakers was a lot of, it seemed like Reeves was the one guy that would take his time, get to the right spot, pressure the defense, and then make the right decision when he needed to, but like force the defense to commit to something, take the role man away or take me away or, you know, take three away. You can't do everything. And we saw quite a bit of that with his film. I think his setting up of ball screens could be a little bit better. He doesn't have, you know, he's, I'm excited to see him and Phil Handy work on some of those dribble combos. Um, but once he's coming off the screen, 
got that great mid-range shot. And it's not just the results have been good from a shot making standpoint. According to Synergy's data, he was quite good on long mid-range jumpers, was about average on short mid-range jumpers. Um, but being able to put guys in jail, get downhill, make right make the right decisions, I think is a nice thing to add to this team. We did see, and it's just, this is part of college basketball, like so much just like hard hedge. You know, a big portion of his his ball screens are one dribble and then just get it to Trace Jackson Davis and let him do his thing uh, because I've got two guys in my face. But he's certainly, re- you know, able to handle that sort of pressure well and and make the right passes. So I'm excited to see him added to the team in that regard. I did pull his, uh, you mentioned his rate of getting to the rim and then his finishing at the rim. Neither of them are positives. And when we do look at the shot making, so adjusting for the degree of difficulty, he was in the 26th percentile for layup shot making among Big Ten players with 50 or more attempts. So he was on the lower end. It certainly was, he was taking a higher degree of harder shots. Wasn't, shooting well on them compared to what we would hope to see. But I think as he grows into his frame a bit more, hopefully we see him improve there. He was, you know, he'd avoid contact at times. Tom, you and I saw him throw up a bunch of like uh, junk. Like it's a real like, like twisting, in, you know, avoiding contact to just try and get a clean quote unquote look up when it's really, you know, overcomplicating and and not getting the right shot which is the bump and then the pump you know yeah get the free throws jump stop get free throws or go into someone like he was avoiding contact yeah no he was 29 yeah yeah that's a good way four total dunks uh 29th percentile foul drawn rate on shots at the rim among big 10 players like i i think if he i, I don't know second level love what i see First level at the rim, don't really like what I see in a lot of ways. Third level, I'm intrigued, but he's got something to prove. I do like the passing. I like the pick and roll, you know, patience. But I, I think defensively might be an area that he's, at least he was he was made out to be a really good player. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Mike, because it's, it's a trickier thing to just say, all right, show me, you know, I can go in synergy and say, show me all his ball screen possessions really quickly and get high volume. Can't quite do that as well with, with defense. And I know at least yesterday live when we were like, all right, don't worry guys. Don't worry. I know the offense wasn't looking great, but his defense is really good. Like let's take a look at his defense. And I feel like the first like, eight clips we pulled, he got like roasted, Yeah. Um, which may not be representative of, of how he done on the year. So people were asking we too, if, people were asking if we pulled all misses for his uh, <laughs> offensive clips, it was, it was bad. Uh, sorry, but yeah. So, so th- this is what I'll, I'll I'll say. Let's let's start with the general tier of talent in the draft. So with the guards for that specific pick, I had Kobe Bufkin, and he got picked two picks earlier. I had Podziemski. He is not perceived to really be a point of attack defender. Um, I mean, those were the only two other guards in that general area. Jordan Hawkins was picked earlier. I have Jalen Hochafino at twenty-two, so he's five picks behind. It kind of doesn't matter to me too much. It's the same general tier of talent. The thing that I'm looking at with all of these guards in terms of defenses, at some point, they all get burned. And at some point, they all get clipped. The, the question is, how bad? And can they recover? And in Huchifino's case, I did see some of that motor. I did see some ability to fight screens. I did see some ability to recover. That whole kind of thing. That's really kind of hard to find out of freshman point guards generally speaking i mean if we if the lakers say picked kobe bufkin 
we'd be saying, okay, yeah, he's got great hands and he can be a ball hawk and force up turnovers on the handle. And then we'd watch him fly through screens and it's not always the greatest thing. He might be able to slide through and then he just gets bumped, right? Or if it's Podziemski, who I actually really did like, I mean, the results may not look as great and he just has to compensate with rebounding. He round, rebounded like a center pretty much. So at least I there's some sort of compensation there. But I have alluded to in my Substack where the floor level of talent for NBA guards is so high that I think there are NBA level quality guards that are not even in the league. They are playing internationally. They are, you know, at a G league level, they are at all sorts of different places. And one of the reasons is because if they could even win half their possessions in pick and roll situations, let's just say that's kind of a win, especially for a really young player. I don't really know how to project defense outside of, Hey, he's aware and he knows what's going on and he has some level of communication or there's a scheme that they know that they implement well, how well can they execute it? And, you know, they're 18, 19 year old, 20 year old players. Um, I kind of look at it like there's only so much NBA 2K BC to go around. And he threw his at like <laughs> playmaking and passing and mid-range shooting and some mid-range ball handling kind of thing. And then yeah. what's the other thing we need to work on? Okay, well, I need to, I've got enter, I've got motor for point of attack defense. Okay, great. I can fight off some screens, not all of them. Okay, fine. Well, what if I'm chasing a guy? Maybe I could fight off a little bit there. Okay, fine. I'm not going to win all of them, but I can do some of them. And when it gets to this tier of the draft, that's kind of what it looks like to me. Because one way or another, if the Lakers were looking at a best player available or particularly a skilled guard, you're going to find these kinds of strengths and weaknesses Generally speaking, whether it's Podziemski or Kobe Buckin, and I mean, he went earlier. So if if it means anything, like, I think he's still a good prospect. I can talk to guys that I've preferred. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I also think like Maxwell Lewis is that kind of tier of talent too, but he was picked at 40. So, and he's got his own mm-hmm. defensive issues, but, you know, there are things that there's, you can still kind of work with a little bit, but there are other things that are interesting about his game that lead you to think, Hey, he might be a future NBA player for a long time. So on your sub stack, you talk about um, not really, even though he is to have a little bit of a size for the guard position, uh, you're not really as confident yet with his switchiness. Do you project that's maybe an age and a build thing? you think it, it could get, you know, he puts on 10 pounds, 15 pounds of, you know, the course of this first contract, he can maybe be a little switchier because if he is, it just makes it infinitely more of a defensive piece to me because an only guard guard switchy guy to me is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's helpful that he can switch between point of attack and two guards, hypothetically speaking, based on size. It's kind of like Austin Reeves. When I first watched Austin Reeves, I wasn't really watching the defense. Right. I was watching, hey, is he aware? It looks like he's resting on offense or on defense a little bit because he's the offensive engine. That guy is trying to draw fouls and create shots. Okay, great. With James, you know, it's he pulls back a little bit of that offensive energy by not always going to the rim and taking that mid-range shot. And then he puts a little bit more energy defensively. He has some awareness of what's going on. And that's one of actually the hardest things that I've learned about this general draft year is NBA readiness being about 
physicality, staying out of foul trouble, and being able to breed um, one or both ends of the floor. You know, with Podziemski, it's mostly one end of the floor. With Max Lewis, it's mostly one end of the floor. We could look at Jet Howard. It's mostly one end of the floor. Well, we have Puchifino, who has some awareness of both. Great. So now we have to kind of expand what that looks like at NBA speed. And it would be great if he could add weight. I prefer he adds a little bit of flexibility in the way that Austin Reeves has unusually steep shin angles when he attacks off the dribble nowadays. His shins are parallel to the floor at times. And I never really saw that out of Huchifino. What does he do? He gets it to the painted area. He shows patience. You know, D'Angelo Russell has some patience once he get, gets it to that painted area a little bit too. Sometimes guys get rushed and it's kind of hard to teach that patience and then make the right play. Like, that's that's just one of the things that um, you have. Is, he, has, he still has a ways to work on, but there's a foundation to work on on that end of the floor as well. And I wouldn't expect him to defend wings specifically, but if he can just not be a traffic cone and know when to rotate, and maybe he takes on the lesser offensive two guard or point of attack, I'm okay with it because I expect him to be at least solid positionally and not be, you know, just a total turnstile overall. It, it, that seems like a low bar, but with rookie guards, we so regularly see guys come into the league and be negatives on one or usually both ends of the court. And not just like bad players, but like good, well, high drafted players that turn out to be good players. It's so hard to be good immediately. And as you shared, like that, the awareness along with some of the traits, like the, the positional size, the fact that he's got a, I, I believe this is correct, a 6'10 wingspan. Max Christie's wingspan, 6'9. He's, he's a long guy. That was something that stood out when we were looking at defensive film yesterday is he's pretty good at staying in front. And then when he's there, puts a hand up, it's a tough shot. Like it's not someone that you're just easily shooting over at the point of attack or to your point with two guards. And it's not necessarily that being like switchable one to two is like this differentiating skill where it's valuable is you're then able to be in so many more lineups because you just fit alongside other guys on the roster so well. And I think that's where, you know, switchy one to two, that's where the value is. Once you get to like, you know, I could switch one through four or something like that. Then it's like, all right, you know, we could change the scheme up a bit or we can, you know, deploy you a little bit differently. And he could certainly work towards that, but having just this strong baseline is, is a good place to start with the traits, with the awareness, with the work ethic that we've mentioned. Indiana did switch a number of ball screens. So I, I need to certainly watch more film on his ball screen navigation, uh, his chaser defense. I think he has a little bit of like technique stuff to clean up. That's not all that challenging, but uh, definitely an area I want to learn a little bit more about because if he can be a positive there, that would be great. If the Lakers do retain D'Lo, we know he's not a fantastic defensive player. So being able to have the other guards on the roster, be guys you can rely upon or be able to play together, I think is really important. And the fact that like if if he and Reeves are two guys that you could just throw them out there in any backcourt combo for the Lakers on either end of the court and know that like, you know, they'll, they'll figure things out and make things work. That adds tremendous value to his short and long-term potential for me. I mean, I, I just agree with that. I, you, you basically stated that, you know, it's 
generally speaking for rookies, it's just hard to be positive on the floor. And uh, I come in with that general expectation. I mean, outside of Scoot and outside of Wemby. And at some point they're, they're not going to look great. Like there are things about Wembenyama that I could talk about that are not glowing and nobody talks about it because he's seven, five and he's got a perimeter shot and he handles. So we, everybody focuses on the positive. I mean, that's also why I had Bufkin just a little bit higher, Bontiemski right at the spot, or just a little bit higher, just because it's really difficult to kind of measure guard defense in multiple ways at the college level, generally speaking. And sometimes you're just looking for ways for a player to compensate. Hey, with Bufkin, okay, he can force turnovers in a way that is, I think is kind of slightly unreal. Uh, with Bontiemski, he gets 8.8 rebounds a game. That that's unbelievable for a guy who has a six, six wingspan and is like six, four. And he has a standing reach of, you know, a short guard. Like I think it's eight feet, but you can't teach nose for the ball. So there are a lot of things to be optimistic about for Jalen Huchifino, as I alluded to earlier, he's got a great foundation kind of well-rounded, but everybody can kind of really focus on like, Oh, this is the mid range game. There's something to expand off that he's shown some passing, right? He's shown the awareness defensively. I know it's not the most glowing review of a prospect. And I know I have certain favorites of mine that I kind of preferred, but those preferences are only because I think they had certain talents that aren't teachable. That's really it, it all boiled down to. So. So wrapping things up with him, you said that if he could be a nine to 10 guy with this roster and this team that wants to do what they want to do, like that would be tremendously valuable. What do you think he will be year one? Is he ready to step into that role or maybe we got to give him a year or two until he's able to break into the rotation. And, and it's, it's weird thinking that he and Max Christie are competing for minutes, but I mean, with how things are playing out, I, I can see it happening. What, what are your thoughts there on what Laker fans should expect? Year I, Summer League, I bet he'll be a blast, and I'm excited to see what that looks like. But year one, regular season, not playoff rotation, just regular season, is this a guy that we think is going to get playing time? Is he going to get double digits per game minutes? Like, what, what does that look like for you? Uh, I mean, uh, my expectations are low. I would expect him to basically have a shift, maybe, two shifts a game at best. Uh, part of the reason is the roster is kind of stacked. I mean, he's already competing against Max Christie. I really liked what I saw developmentally out of Max Christie throughout the season. That gives me a lot of high hope. And, you know, Christie didn't, wasn't exactly showing pick and roll chops or, you know, passing out, uh, out a, as a primary initiator chops in the, to the frequency that GHS has. So, uh, he's kind of gone the way of being more of a specialist shooter, uh, more of a three and D guy. Uh, the physicality wasn't there yet, but I know he was competing using that awareness, that defensive motor. He was using his length and contesting shots to the best of his ability. That's why I'm kind of actually a little bit more optimistic about Max Christie taking those minutes earlier on. And that's not any slight to Jalen Huchifino at all. It's just, Hey, we have D'Angelo Russell. We have Austin Reeves. Those are really good guards. There's nothing been decided about Dennis, uh, Dennis Schroeder yet, or if there's any kind of replacement veteran guard, assuming that he's going to be in a playoff rotation kind of situation. So in that sense, it's a low pressure situation for him to develop. And it's best to kind of cater to what he's good at and 
expand on what he needs to get better at. And that's kind of generally a good way to look at all rookies, especially for a team in a playoff situation. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Mm-hmm. But enough about the Who's Your Daddy. Uh, Tom, <laughs> who, who should we turn to next? This team grabbed a couple other guys yesterday. Let's talk about Maxwell Lewis uh, because they did spend $4 million plus million to move up seven spots in the hopes of uh, securing that pick. And we can talk about the other guys. We didn't mention uh, Castleton in our stream in the pod. So, you know, hopefully, you know, audience is a little f- more familiar with him. This guy looks like, in- first of all, like insanely athletic to me. Uh, just a very small clips that I've seen. Uh, Mike, is this guy, is this guy like, like an athlete? Like, like it looks like he is to me. So uh, when I was looking at this draft cycle, he was the first guy that really caught my attention. Uh, I, I think that kind of says a lot because I was looking at the same things you were. He's creating off the dribble. He's getting all the way to the basket. Uh, the help defense looks slow in rotation. They look late. That means he's faster than everybody in, in, a, in that kind of sense. And then he was showing his three-point ability, not just catch and shoot, but sidestep, step back, that kind of thing. And when that was taken away, okay, he's got to pull up mid-range jumpers, you know, like a little bit of a turnaround fadeaway. A little bit. It was a lot of diversity of skills offensively, and it was great. So when I looked into him a little bit further, it was about his improvisational and reactionary ball handling that allowed him to evade defenses really well, especially the guy directly in front of him. That's what makes him kind of a great scorer. He's really good at creating space for himself to get into his own shot. So that's why I had him in the same general tier at that mid to late first round. Uh, Defensively, he's got a lot more to work on than Jalen Quintrofino. And there's, uh, definite question marks on that area. But in terms of finding a wing score and what I think is the new idea of basketball upside, which is flexibility and coordinated movement and the way they attack the basket without outright speed and outright quickness or out, outright strength, but more of a fluid, coordinated, efficient kind of way of getting to the basket. That's that's who he is. I like him a lot. 
Yeah. So many fakes, moves, counters. So he's trying to get you in a certain way so he can do a certain thing, right? There's like a string of decisions and he's trying to get the defense to do something. Like there's a plan with what he does. Um, so it's what, what my untrained eye looks like. So yeah, I can see it along with uh, incredible bounciness. But what, what were some of your impressions from this guy, Tim? I love the highlights. The highlight, you lo- you watch the highlights and you're like, how the hell did this guy go where he went? And then I watched the rest of the place and I get it. <laughs> um, he's, I think he's more of a project than the highlights make him look. I, I think he, with his frame and his athleticism, along with the fact that his job was, I mean, he's a shot creator. Jalen Hutchiff, you know, he's used as a primary ball handler. Maxwell, used, Maxwell Lewis has been used as a shot creator. He is isolating. He's posting up. He's running ball screens. He's taking tough, like superstar caliber shots and he's making a good bit of them when, when you, you know, throw together a lot of the ones going in along with some of the great dunks he's had. It's like, holy shit, this guy's really, really good. Yeah. I don't think he's, he's not doing that on a play by play basis, but you definitely do see the potential. And I see why the team went after him. I see him. I, I think he's probably not as much of a year one contributor, although he was a really solid spot up three point shooter. So that is something that I think plays into his favor. Well, that we're a little bit, if you're on with Jalen Hutchef, you know, uh, 30, no, I'm sorry, 44% again, it's less than 60 shots, but 44% on his catch and shoot threes at Pepperdine. And when we look from a play type standpoint, he was like pretty average in most of what it was above average, but it wasn't he wasn't on the higher end from an efficiency standpoint and generally against the lower level of competition. Uh, when we look at his, just his basic data against who Ken Palm has listed as tier a in schools this past season. So the higher levels of competition as expected, it, his efficiency dropped a bit. His two point percentage dropped about five percentage points. His three point percentage dropped a couple points. So I'm interested to see how he's able to, when that level of competition is, you know, probably more of a jump than it has been, or than it will be for a guy coming out of the big 10. How does he adjust to the physicality? How does he build out into that frame? So I love that long-term. I love the highlights. And I think we're going to continue seeing those flashes. And I think he's going to give fans a lot to be excited about at summer league, but I would, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not out on him, but I want to pump the brakes a little bit about what year one could potentially look like for him. Well, for year one, uh, defensively, that every his entire playing time is going to be based on how well he can just not be a total traffic cone on defense. That was that was the toughest thing. When when I'm looking at offensive players, it's like, oh, this guy is looking at the guy in front of him and he's getting by him. And then that's how he creates his shot. When it's a creator like Richofino, it's okay. I'm thinking about the guy in front of me, and I'm thinking I'm thinking about the guy under the rim, and I'm thinking about the guys on the side. They're they're they have a wider spectrum of vision. When it's Maxwell Lewis, he's looking at the guy in front of him, and then once he gets past him, it's okay. How do I attack the second guy? It's like making three three two to three small plans all instantaneously, and that's how he attacks the basket. That's what makes him interesting. I wish he had a similar process on the defense end. There are times where the engagement isn't as great. We aren't the biggest fans of Westbrook's level of off-ball defense and awareness. And there have been periods where we've seen that out of Lewis. I don't know what, what you know can keep a player's 
engagement going. Sometimes it's just talking. Sometimes there's a bad scheme. I don't completely understand Pepperdine's, uh, you know, how they ran their season, but the engagement on that end of the floor could use a, a significant improvement outside of the idea of, okay, yeah, he needs to add strength in order to handle NBA physicality, right? So when I talk about, you know, defense, when it's awareness, feet, um, torso, hands, awareness is the base. You can be the smallest guy on the floor, but if you can communicate, you know when to rotate, you can do something defensively, even if the tools aren't there. That's the key to Max. Max Lewis getting any kind of playing time early on. As you alluded to, I see him as a project, but it's definitely not much on the offensive end. And I can only imagine what Phil Handy could do with that kind of offensive ability already and those physical tools in combination. Because in my mind, it's like, oh, that's like an all-star level offensive player. Now can we just figure out a way to keep him on the floor? That's what it looks like to me. So... Yeah, he's, he even has like a nice post game. Like he's a wing that you, you give him a mismatch, he can punish it. So I, I'm hoping he'll be able to, you know, add to the frame, make sure that translates at the NBA level. The fact that he's a good catch and shoot, like off ball player, I think certainly helps. And then it does come down to what you're talking about, Mike, where it's like, all right, if he can defend and he's got the, you know, he can be a spacer, then yes, we can play this guy. If he can't do both of those things, I'm not playing him over Max Christie. I'm not playing him over some of these other guys. And so he's going to have to raise that game probably in a way that when you're the top guy at your school, you're the offensive engine, you know, defense isn't your number one responsibility. It's not where you're focusing that energy bar. He's going to have to go through a transition that I, and it's I, two years ago at Pepperdine, he was more of a role player. He'll have to kind of get back more to that in terms of a role standpoint, and we'll have to see how he how he translates. But I, the long term potential, knowing he's got you know some that the footwork and the processing to make those moves, it just in the bag, really you know makes me value the ceiling that he's able to provide, and that's a nice guy to be able to have. To you know, we saw it with Rui, we saw it with Reeves, we saw it with some of these guys that can just make something happen like clock. That's really nice to have. Even if usually they're just a spot up shooter, you know, less than five on the clock, make something happen. Those guys did a whole lot better than the Kent Bazemores and the Trevor Reza's and and the Troy Browns and some of these other guys. Uh, actually, Troy Brown, for whatever reason, he was he hit everything under four seconds or whatever. Um, but some of those other guys who don't quite have as much of the like creation ability, I think that's a plus attribute for a potential spot up, you know, stationary shooter, movement shooter, perhaps. That's to me just a good thing to have. So year one, as long as the defense is there, I think he he you know he could make some sense if he needs to get spot minutes. He could probably hold his own, and I think that's what you're looking for. And then there's that long term potential. I agree. I mean, Tom, unless you have anything to really add to that, no, I think it's. I mean, gosh, he's intriguing though. There's so many tools like things that you, like you described up at the top that link you know you call them linked actions so like how you use that phrasing and and accelerating decelerating he's got some incredible skills there man and he looks really smooth like like tim said too when it goes in but he also turns the ball over a lot he's uh turnover machine it looks like so i think some of that stuff can hopefully get cleaned up but man he's uh he's an exciting guy to uh, at least uh put in your back pocket and, and try to develop for a couple more years 
Yeah, and I'm hoping. Uh, I, have you guys seen Willie the Wave? Are you familiar with Willie the Wave? No. This is the coolest mascot. Google Willie the Wave. If you're at home listening right now, Google Willie the Wave. If you're driving, pull over and then Google. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wave with a Hawaiian shirt on with sunglasses on is their mascot at Pepperdine. And it just looks, it looks great. I, I'm a big fan. I'm hoping that swagger has translated into his game and he can bring that to the Lakers who themselves could use, you know, if they had a fun wave mascot, I'd be down with that, but that's a different discussion. Just wanted to, I can't, I can't talk about Pepperdine without bringing up Willie the wave. Oh, I just wanted to mention one more thing. Um, Raphael Barlow, who, who has his own uh, NBA draft Substack, and he covers the NBA draft throughout the year. Um, he was present at uh, Max Lewis's um, workout with the Sacramento Kings. And apparently it was so great that one of the staff from the Kings actually asked for a, an unedited version of that actual tape because all the shots were going in, all the movements are crisp, all of the above. And I've retweeted it out several times because Sometimes guys are workout warriors and that's great because, Hey, in this setting, we know it works, but Mm -hmm. we've kind of seen throughout the season, not just a single flash or two or a handful throughout the season, almost every game, there was at least a couple of plays where it's like, Oh, that was really good. Oh, he got by that guy. Oh, he finished at the real. So there's a lot of of options offensively. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know, he's definitely going to be the favorite, I think on the summer league team. Um, with some of the stuff he's going to be able to do to also other guys who are traffic cones. <laughs> mm-hmm. But enough about Willie the Wave. Long may he reign. Uh, let's talk next about who do you want to? We've got a couple guys. I think three. Did I miss anyone else? But we've got Demoy Hodge, Colin Castleton, and Alex Fudge. Fudge. Who do we want to go to first? Demoy Hodge. So, so I made a short list of undrafted uh, free agents. And for whatever reason, I don't know why. The name slipped past me. I think I was thinking of Vincent Valerio Bodon, who unfortunately got signed by the Celtics today. But the my Hodge should have been on that list as well. Um, if you're a little bit closer to my age, you would have watched the NBA a little bit longer. You would think of Katino Mobley as a guy who was a little bit of a shot creator, who was really yeah. good behind the guard and pesky on defense. And he was just a little bit smaller, but he had a quick release. Yeah. And that guy was a two-way small two guard next to Steve Francis and mm-hmm. he had a long career and that guy was a pest. And when I saw mm-hmm. the boy Hodge, I'm like, Oh, that's this dude. I know. I know exactly what this guy okay. does. You put him behind a screen. If you go behind him, he'll take the shot. He'll pull the trigger, like um, catch and shoot. No problem. And then he'll fight and compete defensively. And that's kind of all you're asking for out of a prospect. In my mind, he should have been like an early to mid second rounder, but the draft was really this unusually deep this year where I think I had 30 to 40 first round guys and that pushed second round guys, basically like 40 to 70. And some of those guys were undrafted like the Hodge, like Castleton, uh, Alex Fudge. You can count on that list too. So I'm excited about the Hodge. So I, I did Last night I posted uh, after he was picked up by LA his uh, so he shot 42% on spot up threes this season at Missouri and his O LeBron his offensive impact per 100 possessions was fifth highest in all of college basketball this past year. 
That's really good. We Ooh. like that. And oh, also, by the way, he's a former defensive player of the year for, for his conference and grades out quite well on that end as well. I I had several people ask, like, all right, well, why wasn't this guy drafted? And, and you spoke to, you know, just the level of talent available. Uh, but I think if I were to try to find other things, it's offensively, like he's good at a couple things and not as much else. He's not if you're not drafting him for like ball handling upside, I don't think, or creation upside. Like he's a, he's going to be a movement shooter and he's going to do a damn good job at it. Defensively was, was solid. Um, but he is 24. So he's on the older end. He's also only six, four. And as a six, four off ball offensive player, like I, I, I maybe those are, I, I'm thinking those are part of the reasons teams weren't more into him. Is there anything else I'm missing that like, I don't want to set expectations too high again, but I'm looking at this guy and I see a guy who among the three players we've talked about so far, he makes to me perhaps the most sense day one to fill a role and do that small role well at an NBA level and be able to get minutes. Certainly doesn't have the upside, doesn't have that that ceiling, isn't as well-rounded of a player as some of these other guys. But I, I feel like in a small 3 and D role, he makes some sense, right? I purposely ignored the finals because I knew the Miami Heat were going to have a bunch of undrafted guys killing it behind the arc and defensively. And I can imagine he's exactly this archetype, right? It doesn't matter to me what his age is. Everybody kind of, some some players develop early and then they stop early. Some guys just develop later. Okay, well, he's got two, you know, he's got refined skills at both ends of the floor and Sometimes you just need a guy who's a little bit more mature. The game slowed down for them a little bit and they know their roles. That's exactly who this guy is. So in terms of seeing a pathway to being a rotation player, it makes sense to me. Um, I can only imagine what practices would look like, what summer league would look like. Um, You know, these guys are fighting for playing time at the relatively same position, including Jalen Huchifino too. So I would be excited to see him at, on the roster in a playoff situation, just hit a couple of critical buckets and that's the game. And that's kind of what I see him as right now. Some KCP vibes from his jumper too. Just kind of watching some film. There's something about that release point. Yeah. Right. It's kind of how his, uh, his, his shuffle into it and it's got our super high yeah, vertical release point. Right. So yeah, it's a lot to be excited about. Um, Alex Fudge? Yeah, let's do it. So Alex Fudge was on LSU during his freshman year, and then he spent his last year in Florida. I think he was a little bit lost on both schools in terms of offensive role because he does one thing, which is slash to the basket and dunk on somebody. And I guess he didn't have enough people to dunk on because he didn't get enough points on the board. Defensively, he... It's like it's like watching an early Trevor Ariza with hyper athletic skills. He has defensive motor. He fights against bigger players. You switch him onto a smaller guy; it doesn't matter because he matches their speed. Uh, in one on one, he has no problem, um, kind of being a shutdown guy. And I don't, I'm not 100 percent clear that he understands he has to work within a team defensive scheme because he's just like, oh, no, I just need to shut down this guy. Let me knock off this drive 
my my backup five or my center doesn't have to rotate because I got this. And that's the kind of vibe I get from him defensively. So there's a lot of optimism for me there. And in terms of offense, I mean, yes, he needs to work on a jumper. Uh, he could actually just be a solid passer. That'd be nice, even if it's just a swing-swing kind of situation. But when he attacks the basket, it's in the way where the right hand is the lead hand and he's accelerating. And if he's going left, the left hand is the lead hand and he's accelerating. And that's a big deal. And when he dunks on somebody, we have to make sure that they're seven feet because we'd like to see them on the poster. Otherwise, it's not as fun. So that's what I think <laughs> of Alex Funch. I love the athleticism. I think this is a fun grab. He, I don't, I don't know. He was very negative offensively from an impact standpoint. He was in an athletic, athletic finisher role, off ball, not a spacer. When you look at his like efficiencies in various play types, like 12th percentile as a spot up guy, 18th percentile in transition, 15th percentile in dumps, dumps and uh, cuts and dump offs, 24th percentile in putbacks, 50th percentile in rolls. That's good. Uh, like he's got a lot of work to do. This looks like a South Bay, like a fun summer league, get some highlights up guy, and then work on your game in South Bay. And then maybe we see you in a couple of years. Am I reading that correctly with him? Uh, That's part of my reason, uh, my reason of, of optimism for South Bay. We got Gary Payne into the league with a long contract. We got Caruso into the league, long contract. And then we got David Nwaba into the league, long contract. What do they all have in common? All defensive players, length, Motor, not really known for their offense, but they're active and they find critical roles on championship teams, except for Dwaba. You know, unfortunately, he had an injury. But in terms of optimism about his game, that's the path I see for him. If he can be that off-ball guy who eventually gets some sort of shot, that would be amazing because the outcome is, hey, well, Caruso is the, you know, net plus minus guy next to AD and LeBron James, and he's a world beater defensively now. And we've seen what Gary Payton can do in terms of defense and rebounding for the Warriors. As far as I'm concerned, Alex Fudge kind of has that same approach. And yeah, I'm hoping the offense comes along. Hopefully it's a lot of shot reps. I don't care if it's a set shot. I don't care if he shoots them left-handed. If he figures out a way to do it, it bodes really well for having a long-term NBA career. So that's great. Uh, And finally, we have Colin Castleton, who is pretty straightforward defensive big with some pretty good timing. I don't know, decent foot speed. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about Castleton? Because he just looks like a a tall dude block shot to me. Tall man block shot. (laughs) So with Castleton, there are a couple of things that stand out to me about his game. He has a unique hand-eye coordination. So his block shots aren't really based on verticality. They're based on timing, which means he has an understanding of moving over and rotating with the right timing and getting to the peak of the ball prior to the shot and then blocking the shot that way. And then on the offensive end, it shows when he does a grab-and-go and he's pushing the ball down the floor and making a decent decision in transition and actually finishing a couple plays. And then on top of all that, he has kind of a soft touch, uh, especially within 15 feet. Um, it gives an impression that can expand the, the range too. There's something a little bit funky about the release point on his jump shot that kind of kills the accuracy a little bit, but I think that's actually something that can be worked out. But more importantly, 
he has a certain motor about his game along with that touch, along with that coordination that is highly valuable in today's game, especially with grabbing go play and timing with defense and that whole kind of thing. So I'm equally as optimistic about Castleton as the rest of them. I was not expecting to see an 80th percentile efficiency floater from a 611 guy. Uh, he, fun fact, he scored 0.35 points per shot on jump shots this year. Like so bad. So, so, so bad. Uh, certainly has some work to do there, but around the rim, good. Not elite. As a 611 guy, you want to see a little bit better, but the floater, very nice. And defensively, he was one of the best, from an impact standpoint, one of the best players in college basketball this past year, finished 14th among NCAA players in his D LeBron value. So tall man block shot, as Tom was saying, uh, finishing decent, little floater game, pretty good. Maybe he can transition in, and I'm not saying he's Walker Kessler, but Come in, fit Walker Kessler this past year, roll and cut big on offense, anchor big on defense. It was good in both areas. Not asked to do really anything offensively, but just, you know, be a star in your role, do the easy things well, set good screens, you know, crash the boards, hit shots at the rim. If he could do things like that, I think he's a guy that, like, you know, he can have a future in this league. Very big player, has really good IQ and, and, you know, feel on defense and the touch on offense. So got to work on that jumper for sure. Uh, want to be able to finish a little bit better, but I am intrigued with, with what we see out of him. I do want to watch some more film on his defense and see what his mobility potentially looks like. Cause I think if he's able to be like solid there and be not just a drop coverage, big that raises both the floor and the ceiling for him and kind of TBD. I haven't had the opportunity to dig into that film just yet, but uh, an interesting player for sure. Hey, if he gets a jump shot, we know he could pass from the high post. I just wish that, you know, he could actually pull a guy out of that paint in order to make those high post passes. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he's fun cutters like Alex Fudge, who needs to dunk on a seven footer. So uh, that's who he is at center. But, you know, for undrafted, that's that's a whole squad. Like the, the Lakers drafted a starting squad for sure and acquired undrafted guys that are part of that starting squad. So Vegas should be really fun. Uh, California Classic should be really fun. I'm not going to join it this year. It's unfortunate, but if fans want to go out and see it, I would I would have actually fairly high expectations of how entertaining those games are actually going to be. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're probably tired uh, of this whole process and all of these questions that we've asking you for the millionth time, but you're loaded up. You got your Topo Chico. Thanks for joining us, man. Is there anything else I guess you want to leave our audience with? Or Tim, you want a closing thoughts this year, man? I, I want to hear Mike plug what he's got here in a minute. But if anyone wants to continue the conversation, check us out on playback.tv slash Lakers Watch Party. We did, we've been doing streams Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And we'll be doing so moving forward now that the Lakers have some draft picks. We're going to turn our eye towards free agency this next week. So if you want to not just hear on the audio side what we're talking about, and we will post those as podcasts, but see the film that we're digging into live as we talk through things, check that out. I believe they're all at, or we're trying to have them all at, it's, it's 6 p.m. Pacific. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 6 p.m. Pacific, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, this upcoming week, and then future weeks as well. We'll keep you updated if we need to. Uh, you know, we have a specific day off or two, but that is our consistent summer 
uh, schedule moving forward. And then in the Discord, Tom, there were, I think there were like 6,000 messages or something like that in the draft oh thread last night. Insane, like just an insane amount of activity. So many people bringing in, you know, highlights or, oh, I watched film on this. And what about this? Or I found this piece of data or like just a great, passionate, wonderful Lakers fan community uh, that we're just constantly looking to, you know, get more people in there, uh, keep the level of uh, discussion high every now and then. There's some shenanigans that go on, but it's it's gotten to a good place. And uh, wanna, if you want to get into there, anyone listening, check out the uh, link into my bio on Twitter or DM Tom, me, or the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast Twitter account. Uh, five-star review of the pod will get you in. Um, once you're in there, there are various levels of access and different groups that you can be part of. Want to shout out Friends of the Pod, Court Prowess, uh, for rocking out with the arena sponsorship, as well as to TJ, Timotaji, Zach Harris, Q Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdurrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to the courtside and lower bowl crews. It's like get into the arena by joining the Discord, and then you get closer to the court the, the higher up you go in the different tiers. So lots of good extra content in there. I'll be doing a Q&A pod about the draft coming up soon as I continue to dig into the film. And, and you know, we've got plenty of content on the way with what this offseason schedule looks like. That's all I got to plug. I'm curious, <laughs> Mike, you've certainly, you know, you did your, you didn't have to say, you didn't have the experience we had last night where it was like, oh shit, <laughs> gotta quickly, you know, look these guys up. Yeah. You did your work ahead of time. If people want to read through uh, what you had posted already, where can they find that? Where, where should they be following you? Uh, just find me at Twitter or at Kenyon driver on Twitter and uh, Lakersdraft.substack.com. Uh, I've had fans kind of randomly DM me. I'm, I'm definitely okay with that when it's, you know, draft related questions. And there was a lot of good questions, passionate fan base on my side. I'm actually really happy and surprised how that's that community has really grown. And they've been really genuine about their, their enthusiasm for the, the Lakers in general, along with the draft. It means a lot to me. So if you're one of them, thank you very much. The Substack is free. Feel free to subscribe. I do it on a seasonal basis, so I don't really flood emails for about nine months out of the year. And then when it comes around draft time, around April, May, or something like that, you'll get something once a week, twice a week, and then five in a week, and then it's a draft, and then we call it a week, or we call it a year. So uh, once again, I appreciate everything. Thank you guys for having me. This was super fun. I love talking hoops with you guys. Thanks again. Appreciate it, Mike. We, we love talking with you as well. Everybody, have a good one. We'll talk to you later. the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.